Well, welcome everybody to Good Money. Today we are going to talk about what many people are calling the best money, which is Bitcoin. Oh gosh, are we really? <laughs> I'm I'm terrified of this. There, there Why is, are you so terrified? Because there there is no stronger intentionally uh, knit in group that I know of than um, Bitcoiners. In fact, even saying the word Bitcoiners leads me to immediately assume that they have a name for themselves that isn't that. And and by merely having the wrong name, I'm already indicating that I'm a complete green freshman who understands nothing of the complexities and glories of Bitcoin. And I'm going to be mocked resounding, resoundedly for even, uh, you know, opining here on this here podcast. <laughs> well, we'll be able to face it. We've faced worse. We've told people to shut down their pro one ks man. Well, right, but that's like, I don't know, man. The rage of an in group. The, the, um, I'm I'm probably just more terrified of my burgeoning TV personality being canceled. Yeah. Oh yeah, you were you were going to be huge. You were going to be huge, weren't you? Well, anyways, I mean, I'm really excited about it because Bitcoin has been. Uh, you know, something on the horizon for many, many years. It's been growing. It's been growing Just big. Glowing and... Bitcoin sun on the horizon. <laughs> and uh, it's just has. It does have this crazy cult. I mean, the fact that people are calling this and likening it to the Reformation is one thing. They're doing the what? They're likening it to the Reformation. Wait. To the good old Protestant reformers oh you mean martin luther's wedding when he got married yeah, oh right right right. why are they doing yeah. that well because there's a strong parallel between the corrupt roman catholic church that was stealing everybody's money through indulgences to the strong-willed martin luther calling out and saying enough with that gotcha gotcha and what we're seeing in our modern fiat system and where, where states are creating money, states do create our money, and that they print endlessly, uh, that they've also given banks the ability to create money. And by this huge influx of money in the system, mm -hmm. that inflation leads to the money that we have in our bank accounts being worth less and less and less. And so in the same way that the church stole the money out of out of people's hands so the modern state is doing the same thing albeit in a different way is it worth and, asking what on earth they're talking about well i mean <laughs> we didn't take anybody's money we just sold indulgences to them that's right at least they got grace it's a out of fair the transaction <laughs> <laughs> we'll do one on indulgences one of these days i think that would be fun but uh, Here's my it, indulgence, that, a nice latte in the morning. All right, let's talk <laughs> about Bitcoin. <laughs> the uh, But the Reformation thing is something that you find Bitcoiners are uh, talking about actually quite frequently okay. in, that, in real reports that they're putting out there, that it's being mentioned. And uh, But it, it really expands beyond that because we've gotten up to the point where there are Bitcoin baptisms, where there are Sunday services, 
uh, named after the founder of Bitcoin, the creator of it, mm. uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, Satoshi Services. I mean, there is a genuine cult around this thing. And I think maybe some of it's a troll, but I, I'm very unconvinced that it all is. Mm. Um, and some of these people are, are actually making clear that they're uh, they're not doing this. One of, uh, one of the kind of the biggest voices out in Bitcoin today likened Bitcoin to the construction of a cathedral where this is like a new house of worship uh, where we can have the true religion. And so there certainly is this, this, this glow, this absolute theological uh, overtones that they are self-consciously addressing and making in, in this new economic system. Well, you know what they say, a little theological overtone can really grease the wheels. I know that's how I uh, that's how I succeed in politics by referring everything to the uh, communion of saints. Well, fair enough. They're I think stealing, we should probably we should probably stop though because I don't know what Bitcoin is. You know what I mean? So it is interesting to me that people are being baptized in what I presume is a shower of Bitcoin, a sort of a, a Zeus, you know pouring out golden coins upon the lap situation was yeah. that zeus that was zeus but what what is let, let's start from the beginning yeah because okay. there's no other there's no other place to start you're so right um well where's the beginning 2009 a mysterious and pseudonymously named satoshi nakamoto created a new system of accounting on what is an ele- called an electronic or a blockchain, which is a, an electronic database. Now, this it was obviously spurred on, as mentioned, as a, an alternative to fiat currency, which was constantly being manipulated by the state and by banks by increasing the amount mm-hmm. of money in the system. So Satoshi made this new system of bitcoins with a limited number of possible bitcoins that could ever come into the blockchain. Uh, that number is 21 million units. Okay. Cool. So, so that's kind of the, the, the first starting place. How do you get one of these? Well, you can either get a bitcoin by trading somebody for it who has one. Uh, you can break it down partially, fractionalized. So you don't have to buy an entire Bitcoin. You can uh, go and mine it yourself, which is also which is what a lot of companies and early investors have been doing. And if, but this, as it is just digital, it uh, you know you obviously don't have a shovel and spade for this this type of mining. You have computers and you are solving an algorithmic puzzle uh, that has to do with finding the right sequence to a a uh, 64-digit key, as it were. Okay. And if you figure that out, well, you're the winner of uh, 6.25 bitcoins today. Used to be 12. Next year will be three. It keeps going down until we've hit that magic 21 million number. Which we are getting close to. I think we're about 18.8 million right now. But it costs a lot 
uh, of money and, and it takes a lot of energy to be able to mine in the first place. Yeah, I remember uh, we had some – we called them the Bitcoin boys uh, here in our, our small town. We were baffled to find them show up on Main Street and um, they were there for about a month and they blew the power and then they <laughs> they left. They started a virtual – uh, reality studio elsewhere. Um, and we were all dazzled by their looks and their hair gel. And then they left. But I, I do, I am with firsthand experience aware that it is a bit of a, a bit of a power suck. Yeah. It's a total power suck. I looked it up today and by the annual use of energy just today, if you annualize that, it comes out to be, a more use than what the entire country of Argentina uses annually. Mm. So it's a lot for total mining, excuse me. Gotcha. That's that's what's going on. It's a ton. And and even just to make a transaction to go to a restaurant and to buy something with Bitcoin, that's going to that transaction alone is going to use more energy than what the average American household will use in 24 days, so nearly a month. Can, can you briefly explain this to me? Because I, I think I understand yeah. why it takes so much energy to solve the puzzles. Yeah. Why does it take so much energy? Because it's designed to, for those puzzles to be solved very slowly and with great difficulty, right? I mean, that's the design. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it's the faster that they're being solved, the algorithm changes, so it makes it even harder to solve the next one. Okay. Why a transaction, though? Why does that take so much? Well, the transaction shows up on everybody's computer. I mean, b- right. the, by the very fact that it's not a centrally controlled mm-hmm. currency, that it's decentralized, means that everybody is going to have the same accounting system, right. th- that same access to the blockchain. So the blockchain has to update, and so that's why it takes so much energy. Okay. That makes sense. All right. All right. I think so, I understand what Bitcoin is. Now, does it, I mean, it seems like there's right away two great things to say about this, right? That that idea of a fixed number, um, mm-hmm. if I recall our conversations, was something that was genu- generally advised within Christian c- cultures, right? That you don't inflate, um, that you don't take in the coins and, and, uh, alloy them with other metals and send them back as a greater quantity that this is a a no-no yeah absolutely no doubt about it um i mean you just have to look at pope innocent the third giving peter the second of aragon a month's worth of penance for minting the coins without his people's approval uh, and devaluing them or just the the slam of thomas uh, aquinas on those who are not using what is pure gold and pure silver, um, or rather his recommendation for it, and, and then Nicola Rem's slam of, of any king that was devaluing currency. This is, this is totally... I mean, in a certain sense, it seems like uh, trying to do with a abstract artifice what already occurs in nature, right? Like there's a limited number of valuable items, gold, yeah. silver, gems, productive property, whatever it is. Like we can't... Mm-hmm go on indefinitely, which is part of the problem with fiat currency is that it has a completely abstract scope that can always add another number to it. So it seems like sort of declaring by mechanism that that this shall not be the case, that there's this this limit and so a prevention of inflation. I mean, that seems really cool. 
Yeah, no, I, th- I completely agree. I think there's many cool things about it. And I, you know, we're totally for kind of a decentralized or at least a, a genuine subsidiarity model. And, and by taking away a, a centralized power source, you're, you're able to get one step closer to that. It's not the same state monopoly on violence that works its way into the monetary system uh, within Bitcoin as you do in, in fiat currency. Um, but there, of course, are like some quick downsides. So I meant mentioned the volatility of of bitcoin you know fiat currency doesn't really have that volatility because of the regularized tax system of the u.s and the and pretty much the forcing of the the government's forcing our hands to to use it and And, and when you say volatility you just mean you mean the um the worth uh, the relative worth of a bitcoin that's right yeah and it, it fluctuates according to uh just what people are selling things for What's the classic supply and okay, demand? Cool. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it does get more complicated than that, especially when somebody owns a majority supply of any asset or good. But I think that's something that we'll come to in the conversation. Okay, what else is you, you said? There were some some so the volatility makes sense. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Can but, I can I but, ask a kind of meta question before we go on? Let's do it. Why is a Bitcoin valuable? Yeah, it only because other people think it is. Okay, so in that sense, is it yeah. any different than fiat currency? Like no. in that particular, okay, so it is fiat currency. That is to say, it's made valuable by the mutual agreement that it will be valuable. Yeah, maybe the better categorization is it's not fiat because no one's declare, no central power is declaring it. That's why we get that that word. Mm-hmm. It's it's literally theological because when God in the beginning says, let there be light, you know, he's, he's saying fiat lux. Um, and in the same way, the sovereign, the state is saying, you know, fiat moneta or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so, so there is a, a real like specific theological you know, overtones with that, but credit is still credit uh, money in the same way. So it, under that general category of its credit, it's not commodity backed. It's not like a gold coin or anything. Like that's true, right? It's so in that way, it's categorized the same way as fiat currency. Okay, okay. All right, I'm tracking. I'm tracking. Okay. So, so, so what's the problem with Bitcoin? It seems like it's uh, essentially a a attempt to um, decentralize um, fiat currency. Yeah. No, I think I think that's a that's a great and worthy attempt. Uh, well, let's let's just look at. We got to mention what's been going on because uh, there was a big Bitcoin conference that happened in Florida. It was uh, pretty expensive to to get into because it was going to be a big event. Of course, it was you know not you couldn't pay for your tickets by Bitcoin, and that the concessions there didn't take Bitcoin either. But it was still about Bitcoin, and people were excited about it. And there, the uh, president of El Salvador had a little video message in, Bukele was his name, and he announced that Bitcoin was going to be considered legal tender in El Salvador. And that he thought that this would be a huge benefit to the people to be able to raise the economy and that uh, he was going to ensure that the Congress was their Congress was going to pass this bill and uh, and that there was going to be a new progressive innovative 
monetary solution to a country that has historically had uh, quite a volatile currency itself. And really just a kind of a bad GDP, very low, 27 billion uh, trade deficit, certainly, and, uh, and, and all sorts of economic predicaments that they found themselves in. And, and this was supposed to be one of the solutions tending in a better direction. Mm-hmm. So that was the big announcement. Okay. And obviously there's, there's certain sides to this that are kind of strange because, wow, a, a sovereign nation just gave up its ability to control the currency. That's huge. That really means like it's suggesting that uh, he's handing over that monopoly on violence and saying, no, nope, it's back in the, in the hands of common people. Uh, but the trouble is that people might not go for trading Bitcoin. Like there's not a big incentive to, and again, they're not exporting a lot of goods. And so they're not going to be able to trade with people outside the country who have the Bitcoin. Um, the, the Bitcoin sounds like the Facebook that have Bitcoins that they're willing to trade. Right, right, right. Uh, and so that's, that's a real kind of first economic problem. And so uh, President Bukele said, well, we got to be able to mine our own. And so he literally drilled a geothermal well at the base of some of their volcanoes to be able to get enough energy to start mining because it, of course, takes a lot of power. So he's powering the mining of Bitcoin with a freaking volcano, which is awesome. Yeah, that is pretty kind of awesome. But it just is this a cool idea. Yeah, it's either really awesome or really lame. I can't decide which. <laughs> yeah, if I if you liken it to a money tree, to like a volcano, or like a money volcano, uh-huh. then it's kind of lame, you know. Yeah. If it's like I'm taking on the power of the gods, it's kind of cool. Yeah, you're right. That's it. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that interests me because, and maybe you can clarify this, that uh, how do I how do I put it? It's not that by having El Salvador use Bitcoin, this ruins the sort of stateless enterprise of Bitcoin. Yeah, not quite. Okay. Because they can't, uh, they they can mine it, they can receive taxes in it. They've demanded that their merchants are required to receive Bitcoin in it. So there is still a level of control. Yeah. Uh, But they can't create it. Okay. Okay. So in some ways, it's like they adopted their own currency um, in the sense of they created something that can just be utilized between El Salvadorans. But then that's not the case because Bitcoin is not their creation. It's in fact a mechanism designed outside of El Salvador and maintained as a global um cooperative enterprise right absolutely okay. and and it would, it's almost like just assuming the dollar the usd there which again is also legal tender for them except they're not dependent on just one nation or another sovereign okay. it's it's a collective whole so that's really the only difference gotcha wow no there's certain things to kind of be said about el salvador's decision but i mean just to note a, a few things is that el salvador is and Bukele's under Bukele's reign is is kind of come under a 
more or less benevolent dictator. So this is this is non-controversial in, in the larger geopolitical space that uh, he's pretty much sacrificed the, the other branches of government, that he's more or less ruling by fiat, that he's making these unilateral decisions. He's had the army storm into the legislature and hold them hold the legislators at bay at one point uh, and declare that the only reason that he ate, he was sparing that branch of government is because God told him to do so. So he's definitely assuming this kind of throne and altar uh, style of rule. But I don't think he's quite an integralist. Uh, that was me. I shouldn't have said that. It's cool, that. though. I mean, I like the yeah. idea of someone saying, I didn't kill you because God told me not to. And then the takeover of Volcano. And then you know, this guy, this guy is power, you know. So anyways, that that is going on. But I mean, needless to say, right, I mean, well, no, not needless to say, he has a huge approval rating. Yeah. I mean, if, if we can trust the polls, I mean, it's sitting around 90 percent. So love people love it. People. Yeah. He's a he's a millennial guy. He mm -hmm. takes selfies in front of the when he's standing up at the podium at the U.N. Mm. I mean, that's that's this dude. And, uh, you know, he. um but but that doesn't necessarily mean just that the people approve him that he's doing the best thing for the country. I mean, there's some dubious things that we should mention right off the, the bat that the geo, geothermal uh, uh, energy that he's utilizing from this well is about 95 uh, megawatts. But the country really only had 600 megawatts left to be utilized in drilling wells because you can't just drill drill wells endlessly the pressure is going to mm. you know release from some as the more that you drill uh and so he's decided again on, you know unilaterally that 16 percent of the remaining energy is going to be used for mining bitcoin Meanwhile, the country already has an energy deficit by about 25%. And the majority of, of, of business owners say that that, that that energy shortage is the number one reason why the country is failing. And so there's, there's some obvious kind of red flags right at the beginning and kind of maybe our more post-liberal side uh, just kind of bristles at the idea of, of a a unilateral decision like that when you have such a large uh, proportion of the population saying, you know, we have other problems that we have to seek first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but of course that doesn't suffer as, as approval rating. Yeah. So, so there's these predicaments, but I think the larger, there's two, two things that really confuse me about this or get me really worried about this and, and about Bitcoin in general is that the energy that we're utilizing to create an abstracted accounting system is being prioritized over the production of real goods. And so there is this, this abstraction from reality, a politics of uh, artificial abstraction that, that people are being ushered into apart from real goods, real resources, real life in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, that is a worrying thing, but again, it's no, uh, well, what, but wouldn't, wouldn't someone just respond? Well, yeah, but I mean, things are as they are and mining Bitcoin right now gets you the wealth 
that you would need to access real goods or to start companies or to, you know, why not just consider it as a means, albeit a strange one, to um, real goods? Yeah, it could be. Um, I, there's there's two things that come to mind first. One is that the money is directly going to the state. So it was a state company that drilled the well. It's a state that took over the resource. At that point, you are, again, uh, when, when the point of Bitcoin was to get away from centralized control, you're back at its mercy all over again. So that's something that kind of that worries me at the beginning. The The second thing is that because there's such a deficient export, uh, again, we're talking about a globalized economy here, something that you and I may not advocate for, but just taking the economy as it is right now, if you're, if you're at such a trade deficit, you're going to spend that money and then be stuck all over again. So it's not a long-term solution. It seems kind of like a Band-Aid thing. I guess it interests me in the sense that it's, unless I'm... You know, I only tentatively follow the Bitcoin narratives, but it seems like what they are achieving when they get Bitcoins as a state mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. the capacity for their use. Um, right. But what you're saying is the uh, they're not in a good position to use them on real goods and in trade because they're not uh, producing. Yeah, I mean they could they could spend the bitcoins that they have, but at that but then they would be spending them outside the country and at which point it's never going to take after as being a medium of exchange within El Salvador itself. Okay. So how do they make you know? it a medium of exchange within El Salvador? Well, there's certain incentives of, of doing that. I mean, the ways that they're going to try, sorry, is that there's, the incentives are uh, that you can tax, you can give your taxes in it, your tithes in it. Uh, it is a legal tender, so you can trade for it. All merchants trading outside right, right, the country right. are going to be required to have it. And so there's going to be some trickling in and out. Um, a, a big problem, and I should have mentioned this earlier, is that 70% of the country is unbanked. They don't have bank accounts. And the difficulty of being able to procure one and all the paperwork is just gargantuan next to the relative ease to be able to get a wallet and a digital wallet and start trading uh -huh. Bitcoin. Uh -huh. So so in terms of the ease of trading, of, of monetary trading, it's just, I mean, it'll be, it'll be huge for them in a, in a certain way. Uh, but again... Where it's kind of a test case, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I don't think that the uh, that they're prioritizing real goods over um, over artificial, or that they're yeah over artificial ones. And also, I just get stuck on the point of why use so much energy creating an abstracted accounting system when you should be, or excuse me, when when that abstracted accounting system should be uh, measuring real goods instead of competing for the energy it takes mm. to create them. Mm -hmm. Like it, all of a sudden money is no longer just a measure. It's actually trying to be its own economic good, which of course was a change that happened in the West generally uh, 150 years ago or so, maybe a bit beyond. But, uh, but that, that's what I 
you know, huge point. Carl Polanyi was the first to really bring this uh, to to the head in um, in the Great Transformation, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's a critique that's really gone um, not quite unanswered, but it's uh, unsatisfactorily answered mm-hmm. because it, what it comes down to is this: if you're tra- if you're trading money as an economic good, that means that you're creating a system in which there's going to be a greater abundance of wealth concentrated in the hands of others. That's not a controversial – of some and not of all. That's not a controversial fact. It's whether or not the cost-benefit of analysis of having money circulate through the economy more and thus getting more people to work and at least at some standard of living, even if they're not owning their homes anymore, not able to buy cars anymore, you name it. Uh, it's not going to be an ownership society. It's going to be a rental society, but at least they'll be living. Is that worth the volatility of a market and and its and the relative freedom that 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 comes with, the risk that that comes with? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how the arguments are going today. Those two camps are re- are generally, and I am generalizing. I think it's a pretty pretty accurate okay. generalization between the Keynesian school and the Austrian school. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Heard of those boys? Yep. Okay, so is it the case though that the use of Bitcoin, um, because of its design, its limited design, um, is it the case that it that it avoids the um, lack of distribution of wealth within a society? Yeah, not at all. I mean, okay. this is this is really the kind of the axe against Bitcoin in my mind, uh, because it's open source and the blockchain is accessible. We we know we can pretty much discern where the bitcoins are, uh, where they're held, and what we know is that uh, ninety five, the ninety five percent of the bitcoins that have been mined already are in 2% of the total wallets. Mm, classic. So, which is just an extraordinary amount of wealth, especially when Bitcoins are going for $40,000 a piece right now. Uh, that is a huge concentration of wealth. Uh, 98% of all Bitcoins are in the hands of the top 5%. I mean, it is just, I mean, extraordinary numbers. Well, and in some way, those, those numbers closely, well... No, it's worse, but mere in some ways the wealth inequality um, measured by our regular fiat currency, right? It's it's worse. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually – yeah, it's much worse by, by right now. So you see that 10% of people today in America own – the top 10% own 70% of resources. Okay. So this is a much bigger okay, span than that. Wow. Yeah. Why, why um, I mean, how do I put this? Is that has equal distribution or just distribution ever been even a part of the raison d'etre of Bitcoin? I mean, would the response oh, just be I like, well, who cares? So. No, I don't think so. So, okay. I mean, so let's just spell this all out of the implications and then, okay. and then what the, Bitcoiners' response might be to to this argument. Uh, what you 
really what you found at the beginning is that in 2009, you saw speculators and investors saying this could be huge. Let's just grab them. They're selling for $100 at, at a piece. Uh, mining, yeah, it took power and energy, but not a lot of people were doing it at that time. And so there was a chance for some people to get way out ahead of the race. And that's what happened. And so you found that a relatively sparse population was able to surge uh, their wealth disproportionately to the rate of inflation in the Western world, which is primarily where the investors came from. Mm -hmm. uh, so that they, they ha had a hyperinflation, their net worth inflated up by about a trillion dollars uh, overall. So they have not only obtained the majority of bitcoins they actually have just completely surged their wealth in a way that we've never seen in in history i think you know i, I i've never seen anything like this never heard anything like it this kind of the wealth without works thing that we often talk about i mean this is just the prime example mm. um and so the uh and, and so there's there's a couple of things that I, sh I should mention kind of in part is that with, with the number of wallets that are out there, the 2% to old 95, some people might come back and say rightly that, well, some of these wallets are omnibus wallets, that some of them are, are owned by multiple people. That's that's a term that they use. Um, and, and that's fair enough. That's true. But we also have those numbers as well, that number of ETFs private companies, public companies, states, and that only really comes out to be about 7% of all the Bitcoins are owned by those companies. It's not It's not even close to the majority. Um, and, and again, you can kind of squabble over some of these numbers, but it's it looks by and large that the vast majority of Bitcoins is owned by just a few hundred people. Mm -hmm. uh, the Satoshi Nakamoto, who, who invented it, holds about 5.2% of coins himself. Mm -hmm. So of all possible coins, not just the ones out there, but all possible, see 1.1 million units. So it, the distribution is, is wretched. Now, a Bitcoiner might say, well, look, those will eventually get spent, the competitive market will take its place, and the distribution will come out. But I would respond to that by saying, why just give it the time? If the argument is just like, give it time, it'll come to a stasis. If you're going to give it time, that means that those early investors really will have swelled their wealth by a trillion dollars. But if we just let them <laughs> have that and nobody buys Bitcoin, then they're stuck with nothing. Uh, they, their, their wealth hasn't actually surged. They haven't disproportionately uh, gained anything without interest or, or with, without work. And uh, and we're back at at a slightly better place than we would be, but as it now stands, it looks like this kind of strange Ponzi scheme where the Bitcoin billionaires of the world are going to the poor fishermen of El Salvador and slowly selling them their uh, their kind of fake artificial goods for the El Salvadorians' real goods. And, okay, and so that's, describe this that's, to me. So yeah, so the. So the Bitcoin billionaires get rich off of um, the initial gamble, right? That mm -hmm. you know, buying low, selling high. Is that how you yeah, do it? That's exactly. How you do it. Yeah. <laughs> Which was explicitly condemned by St. Thomas. Yeah, it's a no go. That's right. Yeah, I never no do it. <laughs> um, and then, and then, okay. So now they've got 
a billion dollars, say, of Bitcoin. Yeah. Is it fair to say it like that? Can you, you tell can I'm walking that. on eggshells yeah. here? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this billion dollars of Bitcoin is only worth something insofar as, like only actually worth something insofar as it can be used to buy things or traded mm -hmm. for other currencies that can buy things, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the gamble is twofold. One, that it'll rise, and the other is um, related to it, that it will become used. Mm -hmm. But you're saying that as if this is the, the method, then what they're doing is actually translating a abstract accounting system into getting more of the world's actual resources without having done anything for them. Because yeah, exactly. once once you have a country that accepts Bitcoin, well, now that country is open, as it were, to the purchase of billionaires that essentially invented the money system from scratch. Yeah, it, 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 it remains an elitist enterprise. So if, if trying to get out of fiat currency was an attempt to say, hey, elites, get away from me, stop controlling my stuff, well, we, we've kind of already fallen back into that predicament. But the difference, I suppose, is that the manner of elitism is different, right? Like in a it's bank, true. a state totally can inflate the money, right? Mm -hmm. Bitcoin billionaires can't inflate the money. They just have essentially wrote themselves um, a large check and are banking on being able to exchange that check for real goods on the basis of people who are not making a lot of money on Bitcoin using Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's true. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I, I want to make sure that this is, you know, I think as an idea, Bitcoin comes out to be better than fiat currency as an idea. But the, the, the way that you play it out is that there's still some sort of inflation involved. I mean, the mere fact that that vault, you know, that, that those, uh, geothermal hotspots that those volcanoes are now worth less in terms of the, what they can otherwise do in terms of energy production it, like that is true inflation where where right. the influx of money into an economy devalues real goods so right. it's it's a, it's a it is a predicament still but but i think it's also a little bit malicious as well so there's been i, I gotta say like all these billionaire guys are really bright. Um, you look at, and they, they know that the economy has to function on land and food first. You know, that they, every economy is built from the ground up. And it's only the service economy that, which is kind of illustrious and, and completely unnecessary. Um, you don't need Netflix. You do need bread. You know, it's just kind of one of the, unless you're gluten-free or something. But uh, the there's just a basic hierarchy in, in every economy. And this is, and this is stuff that billionaires realize. It's the reason why, uh, Bill Gates has the most farmland in America. Uh, it's, it's why that you look at, wait, you're telling me that Bill Gates doesn't just want to get his hands dirty on the weekend. <laughs> well, how to fire yourself him. That William, yeah, William, he, he likes his, his dirt, but, but also it's, there's also a malicious side to this, and we've seen right. that before. Is that you have, uh, you have these these uh, excuse me, the raiders of the 
of the 1970s, 80s, and 90s in Wall Street that ultimately the government had to uh, shut down or try to shut down, what they would do is they would buy the majority shares in a company, artificially uh, raise their price, quickly liquidate them, so it would completely crash the company, but then they would be able to have all, all of this um, money to spend on real goods. Meanwhile, everybody that had, that they sold the stock to was totally screwed. And and I fear that something like that is is coming as well, mm. um, because the Bitcoin billionaires have to get out. They have to be able to to sell, and I and I do wonder what uh, at what expense that's that's going to come at, particularly well, for for the you know, the poor fishermen of El Salvador. Would the alternative to them having to get out be just that everyone uses Bitcoin? Uh the alternative i mean what that that would be like what i mean is they would get out oh i i think i understand but i'm just on a cusp it just seems like if okay <laughs> if bitcoin just becomes a currency in the way that the dollar is a currency hmm. then there why is there an impetus on the billionaires to translate their money into real goods i mean it, oh i mean they could just give it away you know, if the whole idea of Bitcoin is actually literally like fundamentally for the the just distribution of goods and the decentralized and to have a decentralized uh, money system, then the billionaires could just give away their Bitcoins for free to mm-hmm. the people of El Salvador. Mm-hmm. And if that's the real impetus for it, then good on them and they should do that. Yeah. Uh, I still don't think it will work. I think it's too abstracted. Uh, from from real life, I mean the the fact that it does not have anything. To, like, you know, uh, Tyler Winklevoss, one of the kind of great prophets of, of Bitcoin, has said that we do not have to depend on on human action anymore, or uh, for the stability of our money, we can just depend on mathematics. But if it really doesn't have anything to do with humanity, then how do, can it really translate to our work all that accurately and all that well, um, and and certainly to the particularized localities where we are because man el salvador is way different than silicon valley you know sure. uh, um so there's just a price uh differentials there that that it's just gonna be tough uh even if you can trade at, at tiny minute levels of, of bitcoin uh but but if they get rid of their coins through trading them mm-hmm. well then they're just going to make all this money Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, okay, okay. So, a few other things to just mention. Okay, I do think that having a controlling share is going to be able to influence a lot of people. Um, any in any case, I mean, the, well, let me start here. It's a known fact that Bitcoin billionaires have wanted to take over a country, to change their laws, to take over their constitutions. And to just force themselves on these on these tiny countries to be able to divest. They've said this explicitly. Now it looks like they're just doing it. Uh, you found Bitcoin billionaires saying that uh, I don't have to wait around and just do what the government tells me. I have the capital. I make the laws. Uh, I have enough Bitcoin to buy any senator or congressman I want. So these these are things that they perhaps accidentally said publicly, um, but it looks like they're going forward and just and just doing them. Uh, but most of all, I think what really needs to be stated is that they do control the price of Bitcoin too. Whoever owns a majority share of something is able to set the price. 
you find this within couched within the the larger idea of of David Ricardo's rent theory when he's talking about he who owns the best land or the best house mm-hmm. gets to set the price in the neighborhood um, for renting it out. Okay. And if you control the best or the largest or whatever X, whatever superlative you want to use, you are more in control of the price mechanisms. And and that is what we are, again, seeing in the case of um, when a billionaire, Bitcoin billionaire might release his money to or exchanges money for something else. Everything comes down to a negotiation at the end. So, so, so you're saying that that while it's resistant to state and bank created inflation, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. if some people have most of the Bitcoin, mm-hmm. then they're the ones determining how much they're going to trade it away for when they finally get mm-hmm. it into other people's hands. Yeah, they're still in control of the sense. price. Yeah. Which so, is just the problem with um, wealth inequality general, generally, right? Totally. Yeah. 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 I think we'll do we'll do something on the price mechanism sure. next week. But that's uh, yeah. I mean, it's I, I'm for a market price as long as there's no monopoly holders. I mean, this is something that you find over and over and over again in these medieval penitential manuals. Is that if you held a majority share in everything, a monopoly share of anything. You had to give it away. You had to go to confession because you were artificially changing the price of what it is. And, mm-hmm. So this is something that uh, the, the scholastics knew quite well. If you just let the economy go, this this would happen. They knew these economic rules. They just didn't like them. They wanted us to use our wills to aim against them and more for the good. Uh, and I think we're we're seeing one one such example of, of why this would be in the case of El Salvador well, and Bitcoin. And it seems, and this is something that you were discussing with me a little earlier. It, it seems like what one of the consequences, um, you know, because our fiat currency system is rubbish. I think we can all agree there. But yeah. it has also been the subject of a lot of often very good government control that limits um, its use in different ways. So something like tariffs. Hmm. And it seems like hmm. in making a Bitcoin country, there's the worry that you essentially create a, a tariff haven, right? Like you can use instead of instead of being subject to the different regulations that say the dollar is under, um, you can just use Bitcoin. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, you could. And, and because again, the countries supposedly can't like stick their hands into the blockchain, which is under serious doubt right now because it looks like the FBI did recently. Uh, but you know, most other countries can't, or just most don't, then you're, you're safe from having the 30%, uh, that you need to, uh, you know, tariff and sending money back home or, or something, for instance. Right. But so, even just to be able to, to buy and sell across borders, you know, that's, uh, the tariffs you get around those with Bitcoin. Absolutely. Well then I wonder, I wonder what's to stop Bitcoin from just introducing a new colonialism. In the sense that if you can create, especially with smaller countries that are less uh, globally competitive, to use language that makes me want to die, 
Um, <laughs> then you can essentially say, okay, you're using Bitcoin now. And now McDonald's, if they choose to use Bitcoin, can open up shop in a way that they're saving money, you know, whatever they're doing, um, because they're not paying the same kind of uh, regulatory taxes or tariffs. You're, you're, yeah. you're basically creating a an, an opening, which maybe that's the idea, right? Maybe that's the, um, you know, we're open for business sort of model, like come on over. I mean, Ireland does this with taxes, right? Um, or yeah, it has totally. historically, like provides a place where the rules don't apply. Uh, yeah, by but, having 6% tax. Right. Uh, yeah. But the, but the question ultimately is whether being a tax haven is good for the Irish. You know, like obviously it's good for global business. No one would deny that. It's sweet to have more money rather than less. <laughs> Be one unbreakable commandment of modernity. And in a similar sense, it's like, yeah, to have a place where tariffs don't apply, I guess is cool if you're thinking globally, but is it not just opening your country up to the moral, spiritual, cultural, and economic influence of the corporations that have the capacity to move their companies on a whim and, and operate mm -hmm. out of your own? I don't know. I mean, maybe this is, maybe this is part of, depending on how you look at it, you can describe it as a positive or a negative, right? Like, Hey, this is going to be job production in El Salvador. Um, but I think we've seen the viciousness, which with, with which job creation in poorer countries is utilized as the kind of mask for, um, you know, just profit, like putting profit ahead of people, just going for whatever you can do to pay as little as possible to get as much as possible. Yep. Yep. And I think just a huge influx of money is just not good for people generally, to be honest. I mean, we kind of all recognize it in our lives um, that it's really hard to be good with our money and that and to do good with our money. But it's uh, even harder when you've never experienced it before. And when you do have major American corporations going to Singapore or Ireland and just dropping trillions of dollars there, it's, it's really tough. It's really tough. For, for them and we've seen we've seen the effects of it in these countries as well so no doubt but what I really want to I mean the case that I want to really want to make with with Bitcoin overall the general plug against it is that it's still this uh, enterprise that is controlled by the elites mm -hmm. and that there is this attempt to uh, to use one more mechanism to gain some sort of affluence but it comes with enslavement. Uh, I, and that's just what we're seeing in the case of, of El Salvador, no matter how you change. Uh, the only way out of it is if the Bitcoin billionaires do just give away their money. Uh, otherwise, there's just no way that this is going to be uh, just all good for them. And, and, in, and indeed, you're already finding some really questionable uh, uh, policy decisions made on their behalf. Uh, and, and I think that this is generally, and you've expressed this better better than I have, Mark, but I think this is just the way that idols just always go. I think mm, there's, yeah. in, you know, looking into idols of the Old Testament, you find, you know, the three great effects, they're spiritual, it takes us the place of God, and as we, as we are still bent on worshiping something, 
you know, has a psychological effect as it makes us feel safer than, uh, than we were perhaps. Mm-hmm. But there's a social effect of all efficacious idols enslave us in some, some way. Yeah. And no, you've, the, you've seen this. Yeah. Right. I mean, the scriptures are full of this suggestion. Idols are described as, in economic terms as that, which does not profit as, you know, worthless things going after which makes you as a people worthless. Like we're talking in terms of value and it's not, it's not accidental. I mean, the idol, um, is a way of getting sacrifice from people. And by sacrifice, I mean a really broad term. I mean, a offering of property of wealth, which doesn't, uh, isn't exchanged for anything in particular. I mean, the way we say is it's offered up to the God, offered up to gods. Um, what the idol does is it is, I mean, not on its own. I think it's actually a very complex development in some ways, but, um, what it allows is for people to accrue some people to accrue the sacrificial wealth of others or the wealth that is sacrificed of others. So, and in some ways this is like completely obvious because I think we've all been influenced by the scriptures, whether we like it or not in the book of Daniel, I think it's the most, to me, maybe the most obvious sort of almost childish explanation of this. There's a, there's an idol that everyone thinks is alive and they're all just so impressed by it. Look at what this idol can do. Um, it's really efficacious. And we know this because we put all of this food in front of it and then it eats it all. It's a living God. And Daniel, like a good Jew is like, that sounds wrong. And he says, (laughs) all right, I'm going to, I'm going to test this theory. And so he, um, he finds, you know, in the temple of the God, he finds these footprints and the footprints lead him to a trap door. And the trap door reveals that the priests of the temple surprise, surprise, go in at night, take all the food. And it's important to point out this isn't just food. I mean, it describes it as, as livestock, as, as wine, as wheat, um, which is the dominant form of wealth in this particular society. So we're, we're talking about wealth in a way that can be translated to money and other ways that we have for expressing or wealth, um, now, and of course, we're all like, yeah, yeah, of course, that's what was happening. There's no such thing as like magic statues that that eat things. Um, Too bad. But I don't see a large distinction. I mean, I see a distinction in that awareness, perhaps, um, you know, that since we live after the, after Christ came and had his effect on all of the world, we tend to doubt um, in the existence of, of gods, you know, that's just a general truth. Um, but that mechanism of getting people to give away real goods in exchange for sort of dubious promises in, in such a manner that creates a system in which actual real goods are concentrated in the hands of a, of a class that becomes more powerful as a result. I mean, I think that this is the story of many of our systems and especially of, of our current monetary system, you know, like, um, one of the ways that, I mean, men cannot appear divine in themselves. We're not God, but one of the ways that we can 
is by weakening relatively everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see this in the idolatry of the Old Testament, that people are actually weakening themselves, giving up their wealth, giving up their property, giving up their time, giving up their attention, sacrificing, like cutting off a part of themselves in some ways and offering it to the gods. Mm-hmm. And in this act of weakening, um, insofar as it becomes a regular social form of society, those who receive the sacrificial offerings appear to be stronger or to have access to a power that's really just the uh, sort of mere image of the weakness of the weakness of the people. Um, and in a way this is sort of what's been happening in our society, right? Like we are all, we've all for more than a hundred years now been giving up productive property, Mm -hmm. you know, for the sake of having, um, jobs where we can use money to buy things that are produced by those who have now our productive property. Right. And, and this system is a general weakening of most people, right? I mean, like most people can't survive without money. You need, you need money. And I don't think this is a vast distinction between the way that most people within these ancient societies would have said they need their gods, that they need to participate in the sacrificial system by which they give up their real wealth because they need the God's help and assistance. I mean, Jesus talks about this. He says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over us and we call them benefactors. Because once you have control of productive property, you're able to give gifts, as it were, to those whom you've taken it from. And the process of idolatry is one of forgetting that the only reason they have the productive property is because they took it in the first place, which, you know, it's, it's not like the easiest jump from that to Bitcoin, but when you have a kind of, um, when you have the actual, the actual sacrifice of real goods, say the energy of a country, um, which is ultimately an actual physical, you know, I don't care if it's coal or, or a volcano, it's, it's the actual physical consumption of real material that yeah. belongs to everyone, right? That's of the right. earth yeah. in some way. Um, it siphons off a real good into the service of an abstract power. Right. Yeah. But what's important and why it, it has this at least resonance with, with idolatry is that it's not an exchange. It's not like people are sort of rationally saying, okay, I'm going to give you this good because I want this thing in return. Mm-hmm. Rather, it's the promise of access, of the ability to use a system of money. We're going to mm-hmm. do this and then we're all going to have the ability to use Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. This is not the promise that the poor will become richer, yeah. right? Uh, so there's not this actual exchange of material resource for particular goods. What there is is a a total weakening of a group of people who now in their very weakness, as a result of that very weakening, are now in a position of petition towards... Um, those people who have more of the real material wealth, um, which as we've spoken of is, is sort of 
the fear is that this is where this is going, right? Is that in the end, mm-hmm. the people with billions of Bitcoins are going to turn that into real wealth. And whereas everyone else is just going to have like a phone that allows them to use their particular system. So they're now petitioning the idol, but there's a trap door and the priests are taking all the food. Yeah, you know, absolutely. There's um, one of our neighbors went to, uh, gosh, where was he? I can't remember. Somewhere in Africa. That sounds terrible. But he went somewhere in Africa and, and went to a village. No running water. I just couldn't have squeezed another person living in this little village. Uh, it just smelled it disgusting. The sewage was, was a huge problem. I mean, you just kind of name it. But uh, he walked in there and he wanted to buy his wife a little bracelet. And he realized he didn't have any money. And the little guy, you know, the little boy that was selling the jewelry said, oh, don't worry, I can just, uh, I can take you by card. And he's kind of looking around bewildered, like how in a place like this, you have access to the internet. And the little boy pointed up and he, he pointed at this balloon that Google had sent so that they could access mm-hmm. uh, Wi-Fi yeah. in that area. And it's like, they don't have anything. Like they don't have good food, they don't have good water, but they were given this, you know, a phone, internet. I mean, where's, where's all the priorities in it? So I think there's that real trading of, you know, Bill Gates for the farmland and, you know, the, the poor people for the phone. Yeah, no, it, it's a way yeah. of getting everyone on the system. And it always looks like benevolence. I mean, this is how this works, right? Like when Mark Zuckerberg used to be pushing his whole universal internet thing, I don't know if he still does that. It was all with this mindset, right? Like if we can give everybody Facebook, essentially, <laughs> then it'll have all of these positive social effects. But in the like end, like guys in India, like the guys in India can learn all of math. Yeah, that's what he did say. <laughs> but, you know, in the end, what, what having these digital systems does is it sort of um, onboards people that, that have real needs, but otherwise might be satisfied in certain ways into a system where they are creating ultimately more wealth for the people that provide them those very same systems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it'd be silly to think that Facebook does not benefit from more people being on Facebook. <laughs> I mean, this was sort of the language in which such altruism was expressed, right? Like we're just doing this for, for love of, of all of those poor people out there in the world that just need a, a phone and a, and a, and a Facebook profile. But of course it's silly. That's not what's happening. It's, it's, beneficial to for all the world to be on Facebook for Facebook. Duh. And in a similar sense with Bitcoin, I mean, we are not asking questions of justice, right? Once again, we're trying to solve problems, real problems, problems of poverty, problems of instability, um, by providing systems that benefit um, the wealthy. Like that's, that is the limited paradigm in which we think. It's like we need something to be done. The poor of the earth are crying out. There's a there's a problem of justice here. How do we do it? Well, you can't motivate anyone except for making sure that they line their own wallets. So we have to basically express their attempts at getting rich as the means by which the poor are helped in some way. And it never, ever happens. It never happens. I mean, maybe here or there, like you can point to these sort of where greed has this kind of extrinsic effect of improving someone's life somewhere. But 
in the end, I mean, the world that we're facing has been a product of attempting to, to do precisely this. And it's the most, it's the greatest income wealth inequality that we've ever seen. And it's not, Mm -hmm. and it just seems like the more systems that we try to apply using this method is just an evasion of the need for justice. And it ends up in more of the same. Right. And it's terrifying, right? Because justice will come. You know what I mean? And and it'll hurt the greater the gap is. I mean, this is like the fear of, this is like the red scare thing. Like the degree to which more and more people are alienated from, from this, from the wealth of this world, right? Is the degree to which the, revolution is more and more violent and devastating. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no way around that. The bigger you build it, the harder it falls. And this is the, uh, I think, unfortunately the end game of a lot of these systems. Yeah, absolutely. There's, and there's, as we've kind of said, it's harder and harder to extract yourself from it as a result. And so how you, it's hard to do it incrementally and certainly without a real intentionality, you're not going to be able to do it. And so what's really the other option, but you know, a tower of Babel thing, you know, just everything comes down. Actually, that's not what happened in the story, but you know, no. could have been. It is what I do with my, I told you this, right? I do this with my son. He hits Babel with the bat. We build up little Legos. <laughs> or Nimrod. I thought, I thought Nimrod, right? Well, well he's, it, he, I'm Nimrod. He's God. That's right. God hits oh. the Lego Tower of Babel with a bat, and that's our first catechetical <laughs> lesson. If anyone's interested in my um, catechesis of the Good Shepherd class, that's that's what we do. We dubiously interpret Bible stories with Legos. <laughs> it's pretty rad. Amazing. Well, yeah, I think you know we'll kind of end it end it there. Maybe maybe just a last point that I think is too good that you pointed out to me is that uh, within these systems, there's always a you know a sequential understanding of the systems themselves like there's some people uh, for sure. whom the sequence is, is just shrouded in mystery and thus it seems mm. and is spiritual <laughs> uh, and that's i think in part why there is the uh the whole rise of of the cult of bitcoin where there are these rituals these religious rituals or at least the ritual the, the, the religious language around it well, where there's yeah this attempt to convince the larger population that doesn't understand how everything's working into coming into the system. Well, yeah, I mean, Bitcoin, like any, any idol is only efficacious insofar as everyone believes in it. And I don't mean to single out Bitcoin. I think it's the same thing with fiat currency, right? Like insofar as I say, yes, I promise that this abstract number somewhere, you know, insofar as I consent and insofar as states enforce it, and insofar as we all just agree to it, money is efficacious, paper is efficacious, um, and Bitcoin is efficacious, right? But Bitcoin, like you mentioned at the beginning, has this problem that it is not made efficacious through force, apparently, right? Like there's no military that's going to back it up if people just deny its efficacy, and there's no government using it for taxes that make it practically necessary um, yet, um, but yeah, it has, um, it still has this need for that agreement that it's valuable to hold. 
I mean, we both have mm-hmm. to say that this entry in this database is valuable. And if we don't, the system breaks down. I mean, if people don't agree, then it breaks down. So what's needed is um, just because the way human beings are, we don't actually enter into contracts without tapping into our fundamentally religious nature. What I mean is a contract, a shared belief, a mutual trust, an agreement, a decision that something will be what we say it is because we say it is is not an event that you can abstract from the sacred and from the holy and say, oh, well, all we're doing here is sort of like a, uh, a mutually self-interested business deal, right? I mean, you can describe it like that, but people, I think, really by creation yearn for um, a, a tangible sign of that agreement, of that communion. So the idea that people entering into a culture of Bitcoin are tending towards prayer and baptism, the laying on of hands, um, the, the sort of uh, articles of faith, the idea of being part of a Reformation church. I mean, in a way, this makes a lot of sense because they're trying to achieve the kind of, um, the kind of conviction in everyone that states already achieve through a vast number of means, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't doubt in the efficacy of the dollar, but we're saying the Pledge of Allegiance at, at schools. So it's it's hardly surprising. But for a new global money system to work, there has to be a buy-in um, of belief in everyone. And it's belief is tough, you know? It's not just something that we can, again, that we can abstract from our from our need for for our need to make it real. And the only way we know how to make it real, I think, is by certain imitations of the church, which really does have the power in this world to, you know, for the priest to say over the sacrament, this is my body and it is. You know, so we start to imitate that and it's you know it's blasphemous yeah it's blasphemous but it's also super understandable and it just Mm -hmm. points to the fact that money is not the quotidian device that we say it is i mean it is efficacious precisely because we are ecclesial beings because we we look at the world our social order and we know that um there is spiritual power here right we can declare things to be so, and they, in some sense, will be so, and that we're mm-hmm. not just, you know, material beings or, or however you'd want to phrase it. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well summarized. Well, so it sounds, like, I mean, <laughs> it sounds like Bitcoin, I mean, there's really not a lot of animosity here. It might sound like it. It's just that it is trying to solve a problem. And it's not taking the critique far enough. I mean, yeah, there I is a has... problem in the fact that we have become totally habituated and accustomed to centralized power just altering money as it sees fit. 
Right. Yeah. Whenever you evaluate a, a new system or excuse me, a new theory, as it were, you have to see what the results of it are. And then to be able to see if the negative effects of it are something incidental to the theory itself or something that's systemic to it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that money as a whole it doesn't matter what type you have. It has serious design flaws that are systemic to it, which t- is why it demands so much intentionality and virtue to be able to handle well. And I think with Bitcoin being so detached from the real world, uh, having no foothold in, in reality, really, uh, you have you have systemic design flaws yeah. in, in this as well. And maybe that's so, just a rule, right? Like if yeah. if it is not necessary to the system that people be virtuous for it to work, then the system is probably just accruing power and and wealth to a certain class because that's what a lack of virtue always does. Well summarized. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Sorry guys. Bye Bitcoin. We'll see you next time. (laughs)